0: I'm and I had just visited her and had dinner with her at uh, 6. Um, so before I begin uh, my, my message is, is going to kind of revolve around that this morning but before I begin I want to um, start in um, Matthew chapter 28. verse 18. In Matthew 28, 18, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Again, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So when I read that, I read that My God has all authority. And I want you to say that with me. One more time. That means that when I read that, the Lord has authority over all of the rulers, over all of the presidents, over the prime ministers, over the dictators, over every single living man and woman and child that draws breath. The Lord has authority over all of nature. He has authority over life and death, over sickness and health. He has authority over heaven and hell. He has authority over every situation in our lives. He has authority to judge and extend mercy. He has authority over every kingdom, every ruler, every principality that the Bible speaks about in this dark world. He has the authority over the present and the future. So I want us to put our minds... In the right state this morning. We need to realize that whatever happens, the Lord still has authority. Whatever we might be going through, God still has authority over that situation. I realize that there's a lot of people uh, on your prayer list. Um, And I want you to know the Lord has authority over those situations. I have a story that I want to share with you. Everywhere I go, I share stories about where I have been on the mission field. Because I believe that after you go to the mission field, and when you come back to the people in your home, you should share with them the stories about the things that you saw God do. And this is just one story of many. I could talk, I could talk for a couple hours about the places I've been and the things that I've seen the Lord do. But this is a story that I want to share with you because it demonstrates to me that no matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing, no matter what has happened in my life, the Lord still has authority over that. I was in Panama this past May, in the country of Panama, and in the country of Panama, I was uh, with a group, and we were going around the streets, and we are presenting the gospel uh, to the people through a drama, and uh, the drama tells the story of the Bible, from the, uh, the uh, fall of man. Um, The plan of salvation, and it basically is just a way, a simple way, that we can share the gospel with the people. There's a certain place in Panama that is somewhere where white people, where people that are not native to Panama, do not usually go. Are any of you familiar with the favelas in Brazil? Have you ever heard of the favelas? The favelas are the slums of Brazil where unmentionable things happen. In Panama, they have much the same. It's called the Racatacas in Panama City. And whenever, I, and this is this past May, was the second time I had been to Panama, and I learned the first time I went that whenever we go into the talk as we talk to the police. The police give us an escort, an armed escort, into the slums of Panama City. And Panama City is a little bit different than anything you've probably ever seen. There are men standing around, uh, police, the military police, with assault rifles on just about every street corner. There are they just stand around. They don't look like they're doing anything, but it looks like a city under occupation. But when we, so when we go into the slums, we have to talk to them, and they have to give us permission. Well, there's a certain place we're at. We're at the University of Panama. And at the University of Panama, we had been talking to the people, uh, the college students there, and presenting the gospel to them. Well, our leader decided that he wanted to go into the slums. It was a little ways down the street, and we took a walk. So we're taking a walk, and we see a policeman on the street corner. We go up and talk to the policeman, and of course, he speaks Spanish, and we have to go through translators, and we're talking to him, and we tell him what we want to do, or our leaders do. Our leaders tell him what we want to do, and you know, it's getting along to about 3, 3 p.m. in the afternoon, and it's getting a little late, and you probably want to be out of the slums before dark falls, and he says, you know what, we can't do that. It's getting a little bit too late. But as we're standing there, as our leaders are kind of down the sidewalk a little bit from our group, this man walks up behind me, and he starts talking to myself and others in the group in Spanish. And my Spanish is okay, I don't speak fluent, but I speak well enough, or I I know enough to understand the gist of just about any conversation in Spanish. And he basically what he was telling me is he wanted to take our group around the slums. So I directed him to our leaders who were talking to the policeman who was standing on the corner. And he walks up to them, and he talks to the policeman. And after a little bit of conversation, the policeman lets us go. And he says, sure, you can go with this man, but here's the thing about this. None of our leaders who have been to Panama before have ever seen this man. None of our translators who live in Panama City have ever seen this man. I have never seen this man before. No one in our group has ever seen this man before. He is a native Panamanian citizen. He doesn't speak English. He sees us on the street corner, and he walks up to us and says, I want to take your group around the slums. So we we go into the slums, and there's a school there, and we present the gospel to the school. They just let us... It's a recess or something when we walk up, and they let us present the gospel to the children and the teachers of the school. This man, we find out his name is Pablo. And Pablo was some kind of elected official. He held some kind of political power. He, he was respected in the community. The people would walk up and shake his hand. The people knew him. There was a place on down further down the road that we went to. It was kind of like a courtyard. Uh, you couldn't get there with a, with a full-size car. You'd have to either uh, ride a bike or walk. And the, all the houses, or the, uh, whatever you call them, the shacks, faced the courtyard. We sat up right there in the courtyard. We presented the drama through the gospel, or we presented the drama in the gospel. And afterwards, we saw a man who was sitting there, this older man, and he was kind of crying. And we got to talk to him. And he was so happy that we had come down to present the gospel to the people in his neighborhood. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're ever in a foreign country... And a man you've never seen before walks up and he says, I want to take your group around so you can present the gospel. And he has the influence to do it. And then you go to a school where this is not planned in advance. And the Lord opens the doors for you to present the gospel to the kids of the school and the teachers and the staff of the school. That demonstrates to me that no matter where I am, No matter what I'm going through, the Lord has all authority in my life. The Lord has all authority in everyone's life. He has authority over the people in foreign countries. He has authority over the people in our nation. There's nowhere I can go to escape the authority of the Lord and the plan that He has for my life and for everyone's life. You know, that's something that my grandmother understood. In Ecclesiastes 9, 9 verse 12, Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come, as fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare. So men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Like I said, I, I, I had just visited my grandmother yesterday at six in in the in the evening. I had dinner with her. She seemed just fine. Um, she she had recently been in a car wreck with my grandfather, and they were recovering. Um, they both had some broken bones, and they were uh, recovering separately. But my grandmother was in a nursing home uh, south of Springfield, and I had just come down for the day with my mother, her daughter, to visit. And uh, I left, and I got a call about 8 uh, that um, she had passed out and that um, she had gone to the hospital. And then I got another call. My my dad called me at ten Died, and uh, we found out that she had. She probably died before they ever got her to the hospital. But I was thinking about that, and there's a couple of things that I believe um, I have to do now. The first thing is I have to decide what I believe. You know, it's easy to read in the Bible what the Bible says about uh, life and what the Bible says about death, but. When a situation comes up where you have to apply that to your life, it's hard. So this is a time where you have to decide what you believe. Where you have to decide if what's written in the Bible is actually true to you or not. And I think it is. So I think what I should do, because I know that our separation is only temporary. separation is, is only for a short time a separation with her family is only for a short time so I think that I can rejoice in a life well lived we're going to mourn her departing we're going to miss her the family certainly lost its best cook but I think that that we can take joy that she understood that this life was passing That she understood, um, and this this has been hammered home to me, that when you die, there's only one distinction in your life that's really going to matter. It's whether you're saved or not. This is something that I've thought about for a long time. It doesn't matter who you knew. It doesn't matter what positions you held. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It says right here, Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come does not matter. Those those things, they do not matter. When you die, you leave them all behind. My grandma knew her final resting place. She had a hope beyond death. Most importantly, I believe that uh, she understood Romans 14 verse 8. Starting in verse 7. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. In her living, she lived to the Lord, and in her death, she died to the Lord. I want to turn now to um, part of what was my originally prepared message in John chapter 9. I know we're moving around a little bit. John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, "'Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind?' "Neither this man nor his parents sinned,' said Jesus." his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. There's a lot of things that are present in this, in this short passage here. The first thing that I want to point out is that Jesus refutes the idea that anything that happens in your life, or that, or that, um, everything that ha- wrong that happens in your life is a result of sin. That is not true. More, but more importantly, I think that what we should get from this, and I think that my grandma understood this is that in our lives, remember I said the the first thing, the most important thing is whether we are saved or not. I think that once that question is satisfied, once that question is answered, then there's one other thing. Another thing that I think we're going to have to account for before God one day is what did we do about the other people who were not saved. In this passage, Jesus gives a very... A very good example for us to follow. He says, Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Silo." I don't know about you, but have you ever sat down and picked up some dirt and spit so much spit into it that you could make a mud ball to plaster on somebody's eyes? Do you, Do you think... That took him some time. Do you think they were kind of standing around watching him while he did that? Um, I don't really know how long that took, but I'm going to guess it took him a little while. And I'm going to guess it probably wasn't the prettiest sight. But yet he did it. And I think there's an illustration in that. After he got done plastering the man's eyes with the mud and the spit, what do you think happened to his hands? What do you think his hands looked like? They were dirty. I'd say they're pretty dirty after that. You see, at the cross, Jesus did the blood. And I think that he asks us to do the mud. I think that when we stand before God in judgment, one of the things we've gonna, he's going to want to know is whether we got our hands dirty for him, whether we sacrifice anything for the cause of Christ, whether we followed him in life. This is difficult for me to say because um, it's convicting. It convicts me on occasion, um, and I know that. Uh, there's people in every church who will probably convict but there are two kinds of I believe there are two kinds of Christians given by this illustration I believe that we can say there are two kinds of Christians there are the sit tights and the spit types. the spit types are the people who you might say give a spit about the lost and then there are the sit types who sit in the pew and never leave that position And I've been guilty of it. As I look around me, uh, I've been in a few churches in my life. um, And one of the things that I can say is that as I look at the churches and then I look at our, uh, the direction that our nation is going, I see a correlation. If you want to know how the nation is, I believe you should look in the church house. In verse 6, Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. At the pool of Siloam, at the pool of sent, I don't think that that's a coincidence that it was a pool of sent, because Jesus did the blood at the cross. And after he did the blood, he sent us. In Matthew 28, and in, uh, in what we are just reading, it's the Great Commission. He says, Therefore go and make disciples of all men, Go and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all of the things I have commanded you. Jesus showed us what he wants to do as the body. He wants us to get our hands dirty for him. That looks different in everybody's life. That looked different in my grandmother's life. That's going to look different in my life than in your life. going to look different in your neighbor's life. I don't pretend like I know what it's going to look like in your life or that I can stand in judgment of that because I can't and I'm not going to. In First John 4.19 it says, we love because He first love us. I'm going to go ahead and turn there. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. If you say you love God, then by, by extension, by um, logical process, you would have to love other people. Um, Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind but he said that the second is like it and in the Hebrew that can be translated not only like it but the same as love your neighbor as yourself we find that the Bible teaches in multiple places that if you don't love the people around you then there's no way that you love God If you don't love your neighbor, and your neighbor, who is your neighbor? uh, You know, that's a pretty popular teaching. Who is your neighbor? Well, your neighbor is, is everybody. Every human being that draws breath is your neighbor. The greatest gift that you could give a person is to get your hands dirty for Christ and tell about His grace, His mercy, and His forgiveness. Especially if you've experienced that in your life, and I pray that you all have. 1 Peter 4 8 lays out a vision, a vision for the church, for the body of Christ, both individually and corporately. 1 Peter 4 8 says, Above all love, for love covers a multitude of sins. Above all love each other deeply, because love covers a mul- over a multitude of sins. That is the vision for the church. The church house, I believe, is a place where people should be able to come, broken people, guilty people who should be able to come and receive forgiveness. I believe that there's only one difference between most of us sitting in the church house and most of us on the outside. and The difference is that we're forgiven sinners and the people on the outside are not. most important thing that we as the body of Christ do and that the church does, its main function its purpose for existence is to tell the world about the gospel. That is the primary purpose of the church. That is the primary focus of each of us as Christians and as followers of Christ is to tell others about the Lord. That is how we influence the world. That's how I believe that's how we change we don't like I was, like I alluded to earlier. If you don't like the track that the nation is on, how do you think you change that? If you don't like something that a person is doing, how do you think you change that? Well, I've accepted that I personally cannot convince somebody to change their ways. I believe that the only way you can truly get somebody to change, the only way that someone will change their mind is by letting God do it. That's the only way. So we should follow Christ's example in 1 Peter 4 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And we're all sinners. I am. So I challenge you today that if you claim the name of Christian, that you live the claims about the name. There are a lot of people who claim the name of Christian. It's almost a cultural thing in our society now. Um, in South America, wherever I go, if I ask someone if they're Catholic, they will say, yes, I'm Catholic. And they may have never entered the doors of a Catholic church in their life or you know anything about Catholicism. But simply because they were born there in, in the, one of those countries, they think that they were Catholic the same in Cambodia. In Cambodia you ask a person are you Buddhist? Well yes I'm Buddhist. To be Cambodian is to be Buddhist. It's a cultural thing. In America do you believe in God? Well I believe in God. Are you Christian? Yes I'm Christian. I was born in America. Birth does not make you anything. Birth makes you alive and that's about it. So I challenge you to live the claims that the bible makes about the name christian about jesus i think this is something that my grandma understood and i think that this is the best way that i can honor her memory is by challenging others to live as i have seen, as i have seen her live First Corinthians 15, 50. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, when the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. I believe my grandmother has found her victory. where oh, death is your victory, where oh death is your sting. You know, it's an uncomfortable reality for me, especially being as young as I am, to uh, think about my, I'm only a heartbeat away from eternity. I could, I could die on the drive home. Each one of us, we don't know how much time we've been given. We don't know... When our last breath is coming, when our last heartbeat is, we don't know if we're going to live to see tomorrow. That's why I think it's important that today if you haven't done something accepting Christ that this would be the day that you would do it. And the second thing is if your hands aren't dirty for the Lord, I pray that you would seek him and find his will in your life and find the way that he wants you to serve the kingdom. Because he has a place for each of us in his kingdom. I'm going to end in James Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. The Bible is so clear on so many points. Yet I think that a lot of times we kind of gloss over that. And I, like I said, I'm as guilty as anybody else. But this is what I feel I've been led to preach today. So if there are any of you who would like to accept Christ, or if there's any of you who would need to seek the will of the Lord in your life, and you haven't been doing that, then I would invite you to um, come up and do that. Today would be the day that you do that. So uh, let us pray. uh, Lord, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for the hope that we have in uh, life after death. I thank you that um, uh, as we read in your word that you have already claimed the victory over death. I thank you that um, those who uh, die in you, Lord, Uh, Our separation is only temporary; that we will be uh, that we will uh, join them later, Lord. I just pray today that if any of these people have not accepted you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would do that. I just pray um, that whatever situations they're facing in life, uh, I know that uh, they said there's many of those who are sick, many on their prayer list. I just lift all those up to you, Lord. I just pray that your will uh, would be at work in each of those situations. And that your glory would be shown through those situations, Lord, in whatever way that might be. I just pray um, that you would convict each of us in our hearts as we need to be. And I just ask these things in your name.